Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I just unloaded four cans of Aquanet into my hair, and I... <coughs> just give me a second. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, Troy. I just needed to make sure that my hair was up to par for this review today, and it just... Too much. Well, Ooh. luckily, I was uh, I was in the backyard putting the teepee up, so I did not get any of the hairspray fumes. Oh, God, that's not offensive. <laughs> that's TV. not at all offensive. Oh, you for mean a, having the having the powwow? Having a powwow? A, for a bunch of suburban... <laughs> suburban white people to be throwing a Native American-themed powwow in their backyard for no big reason whatsoever. Why not? That's not offensive. But you know what? I think one thing we've learned over the last few titles, Troy, is that a lot of these movies, especially movies of this era... Do not skimp on the offensive material. Yeah. And this one is, it's par for the chorus at this point. I mean, we got mental illness. We got Native American shenanigans. <laughs> A full-size Native American statue for no apparent reason. Why the fuck not? Why not? Yeah. It was, hey, it was 1987. Um, so... A lot of these 80 mo- 80s movies now, as we as we realize, we look back at them and we do see there's a lot of problematic issues with them because they really didn't give a fuck. They didn't. They didn't necessarily um, age well. And I feel that can certainly be said for this title specifically. Um, this is a movie that I have on DVD. I have the full series on DVD. And it's not one that I break out that often. Um, and revisiting it, I gotta say, Troy, I wouldn't say that it's a movie that really holds up across the board for me. Um, But hey, as we always say, we'll get to it. Uh, Troy, let's just tell him. Let's get right to the point. What's your choice this week? We are talking the, like I said, the 1987 slasher flick, Sorority House Massacre. A classic in its own regard. I guess. Is it though? Is it though? <laughs> Is it? I mean, people know of it. <laughs> they do know of it. They do know of it. it. It it came out, you know, as sort of a almost like a companion piece to the Slumber Party Massacre. Ironically, both directed by women. Which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Which is, there, it's very unique. There were not a lot of slasher flicks directed by women that came out in the eighties. I can think of this one, Slumber Party Massacre, um, Blood Diner, uh near dark but that not really a slasher flick um so you know women were women weren't really thought of as being like horror aficionados during the time period 
And it is interesting to get a like a female perspective on a, the slasher flick. However, this one I don't really think it necessarily makes that big. It doesn't of a give difference. a solid argument for women directing horror movies. <laughs> well, to be like, well, it really doesn't do them a lot of justice. Not even the fashion. Oh my god! Well, if there's one thing I think that we're going to focus on in this movie, it's the fashion and the hair. Because while this movie may skimp on story, because it is a paper-thin story, it's a short film with a short storyline. It certainly makes up for with a wide variety (laughs) of 80s fashion. I guess fashion would be the term that we would use. Uh, It's very colorful. It's filled with quite a lot of over-the-top wardrobe choices that I don't know. Is this... this you are a little bit older than me. Is this how people dressed in the eighties, Troy? Not that I remember. Uh, not that I, especially to go to biology class. I, I don't remember people getting, you know, dolled up in these colorful outfits, full on dresses and sweaters to go to a biology class or to go to class. Period. I was wondering the same thing. And these clothes are just—they're hideous. I think that they would be hideous back in the 80s. There's nothing attractive about them. And what kills me is these girls are acting like, you know, that one, we're going to get to this, but that one highfalutin one that everyone's, what's Cindy? You know, the one that's always wearing electric pink, which I am wearing electric pink in honor of Cindy right now, by the way. They are, but they're (laughs) acting like her wardrobe is like the best thing. It's like like it's been flown in from Italy and it's hideous. It's hideous. The only thing about this movie that screamed this was directed by a woman to me, and this is going to sound so offensive, but like seriously, is the fashion montage because no straight man would take the time to incorporate. I don't care how many boobs you throw into it. No heterosexual male directing any form of cinema is going to give a movie that much time devoted to a fashion montage. So that's the one point in the movie where I was like, okay, this was directed by a chick. But yeah, other than that, this movie is pretty cookie cutter like it it in a lot of ways it really wants to be halloween but it doesn't have like the oomph behind it it doesn't have the impact no this film i feel like this film thinks it's thinks it's being way more clever than what it really is yeah yeah well it tries to touch on some material that like i guess for the era would have been a little cutting edge i don't know like it's it, it touches on like the mental aspect, the psychology aspect of what one of the characters is going through. Um, one of the the characters in this film is a psych major, and so they go into like the meaning of dreams and like everything that plays into that. But it's really not enough to make it really worth anything. It's not very impactful. Um, I just guess like the fact that even included it within the mid '80s is kind of like groundbreaking in its own right. But then again, like when they actually show scenes in the mental hospital, it is so far from like how an actual mental ward would properly be like handled. It's 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 like whoever wrote these scenes has no idea how a mental hospital actually works or operates. It is horrible. Oh, it's very much it, it's very much like Dead Pit, where just the people are the, the patients are doing whatever they want. The doctors don't have a clue what the fuck they're doing. We'll get. We're gonna get to it. Let's get to this film. Unless you have anything, you know, exciting to that's I mean, been going on. Or all I want to say is, like, I feel like I've uh, 
I've not really gotten a, a chance to acknowledge you did have a birthday recently. We discussed it last week, but I know you've been so busy readjusting and reacquainting yourself to, you know, your hometown that you recently moved back For to. For however long that um, ends up. That <laughs> well, we shall see. But um, what what are you doing? Like, are you properly getting a chance to celebrate your birthday? Is there anything coming up that's going to be exciting? I hope you're taking some time to let your hair yeah down. my birthday is 9 11 i'm a 9 11 baby so it's really easy to remember you know <laughs> yeah so i never thought yeah yeah but uh ironically well this weekend was just kind of hang with family hang with friends went out with some friends you know had way too many shots of tequila one night that i don't even remember what ended up happening but it was a blast Perfect. i'm sure um Good. so but this weekend this coming weekend actually tomorrow I, i'm leaving for just like a little extended post birthday trip and i'm headed to ironically new york city fabulous yeah as it should be what better way to celebrate a birthday than under the shining lights of new york city are you doing anything in specific or just oh, going? I'm just going to go to, I got, I got, you know, I'm going to go to a couple of the museums, the Museum of Modern Art and um, just kind of chill. It's a quick trip. I leave, I get there late Thursday, come back early morning Sunday. So just have two days there, but just a little getaway. I wanted to do something because who knows when it'll happen again. Yeah, I'm craving, I'm craving a trip myself. Um, my boyfriend loves to travel. We've taken some trips recently. We went to Cincinnati. I got to say it. I have not brought it up, but we went to Cincinnati to see Kesha and Betty Who, and it was the time of my fucking life. So I've, I've been recovering for for three weeks. I've been recovering, but um, we're aching for a big trip. So we actually we put it out on the table, and I don't know if this is like fate. I don't know if I should be like maybe feeling like this is like a bad sign, all things considered, because we recently reviewed the movie Don't Look Now. But um, Gustavo suggested that we go visit Venice. Oh. And as you and I both know, Americans visiting Venice, it, it's the potential for disaster, especially if dwarfs are involved. Well, you need to take, you definitely need to do some social media photo ops of you in a red raincoat running down the canals of Venice, please. <laughs> I have been literally shopping for red rain slickers all week. Ever since he brought up Venice, I was like, okay, but only if I can get a red rain slicker. And he was like, I, I guess if that's what it takes. So he has no understanding or comprehension of what I mean because he hates horror movies. Uh, but uh, yeah, so red rain slicker it is and photos will be coming. Um, but yeah, so it sounds like you and I have some fun things in our future. But right now in our fucking present, we have a very important to talk uh, topic to talk about. And that is... Sorority House Massacre, the one and only. Well, are they remaking it? I believe they're remaking they it. They better fucking not? not be. No, though they're remaking the slumber, slumber party, party massacre. massacre. Oh yes. Well, yeah. And that's. But I mean, I mean, come on. It's going to be on sci-fi. Hello. That's exactly why um, I don't know which one they're remaking. Because as soon as something's getting remade for sci-fi, no offense, sci-fi, it kind of loses my interest. Can they capture my interest? We shall see. But I really haven't been following it because it's made for sci-fi. So okay. That is neither here nor there. We're talking Sorority House Massacre, 1987, and it's a classic, or so they say. <laughs> Which is, I mean, it's basically the same movie. I mean, it's a hunting ice versus a drill. I mean, with some psychoanalytic analytic shit thrown in, but it's basically Slumber, it's basically slumber Party Massacre. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, but... Yeah, we, we get this lovely opening shot of the house... All lit. All the windows are lit. The, every fucking light in the house is on. You get that eerie uh, 
like what is it piano score and then a blood splattery title card that says sorority house massacre this title card has to have like it looks it looks to me as though a seven-year-old child created this title card in like paint shop pro because it is so bad um and like i will say after like a few weeks of having some very like extravagant and elaborate title sequences it was kind of refreshing to have a title sequence that was just like here's a house here's some names here's a horribly illustrated blood splatter let's get to the fucking point (laughs) i think carol frank probably let her child play on the paint and say here create a title card for this and we'll throw it up there yeah mommy needs a good title card well it definitely doesn't leave a good impression moving forward because it is well nothing there's no there's nothing good to take away let's be real (laughs) no because okay the very next scene we get our protagonist beth oh okay okay i know i know i have to make an apology you're sitting here (laughs) i have to make an apology because we have really uh, harped on the last couple films final girls being bl- we forgot about this catatonic fucking bitch fuck this her. is the worst <laughs> <laughs> this bitch beth is my least favorite final girl of all time i'm just putting it out there before the movie even before we get into anything this lesbian haired flannel wearing broad <laughs> is the least effective final girl I've ever seen. I and I mean that wholeheartedly. She Jane from lo- makes she makes Jane look like <laughs> fucking uh, 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 the Terminator. Who is who is in the Terminator? <laughs> Linda Hamilton. Linda, she makes her look like Linda Hamilton in the last Terminator, where she's like a rugged, like weathered, like ooh, like she's seen some shit. She can blow anything up with a machine gun. She makes Jane Doe look oh. like the cream of the crop. Compared to this, this girl, broad. she does nothing. I am so mad at her. And after revisiting this movie, it makes me hate her so much more. I'm wondering if it was if she was directed to act this way or if it was a lack of acting talent. But this is the most unresponsive, just unaffected performance I think I've ever seen in my entire life. Maybe I mean, she was like a this, friend of the family. <laughs> like because she's the she has she has zero emotion. She yeah. show things are happening around her that any normal person would be freaking out, and she literally has no reaction. And we are supposed to we are supposed to feel sorry for her or like be no. No, fuck you. Fuck you, Beth. I think one of the things this movie suffers from in general, one of the things that makes it less impactful is honestly across the board when there are moments of suspense or fear or anything that requires a natural human reaction the characters respond as almost as though they're sedated there is no fear coming from these people there's maybe one character who who kind of hits it in a somewhat realistic human response Sarah, the character of Sarah, I think she was probably the strongest. Yeah, but yeah. But everybody yeah. else, like something will be happening, and they'll like they'll turn and they'll look and they'll be like, "Oh God, run!" And like their faces are. It looks like they've just got Botox, and they have no ability to express emotion throughout the whole course of the movie. 
Yeah. So anyways, after Beth, we get introduced to Beth. She wakes up in a hospital and uh, the house. Well, we don't know who it is at first. It's Mrs. Lawrence is at the hospital. And I'm assuming then that this opening scene of Beth in the hospital is like a is after all of this shit is done. And now she's telling Mrs. Lawrence what happened because Mrs. Lawrence is like, Beth, are you okay? What happened? And Beth is like, well, I guess it just started when I entered the house. And then we get this long, elaborate. Run the fuck out. Trying to, it's trying to be like cinematic and uh, just diff, you know, but it's so boring. It's her walking up the street in the middle of the night, which, why is she showing up to, this is a sorority house, right? She's going yeah, to stay at this. Yeah. Why is she showing up to the sorority house at like 11 o'clock at night? Well, why is she showing up to the sorority house? while like, it seems like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe she's transferring to the school in the middle of the year. But like this sorority house is already rocking and rolling. And these girls are situated there. School yeah. has been in session a long time. So why is she showing up at 1130 at night with her loose suitcase knocking on the door? They all know who she is. I, I'm assuming because she's she was away for a while because her aunt died and she took it hard. That's the only thing I could think of. But I'm thinking there's still a better time to show up. <laughs> well, and they even say like they say one of the characters says to her uh, something about like considering joining a sorority. Mm-hmm. Like, is she even part of she? I don't know if she's. Has she been part of this sorority prior to this? Is this her first introduction? Because, as you learn, this house is very important to, to who she is. And she does not have any recollection of it. As you, the, the viewers and the listeners, shall eventually learn, this character is being brought back to a location that is kind of setting off some very triggering memories. So, obviously, it's her first time here. But it's so just weird because, like as we said, like... The school's in session. Everybody's already situated. People are, like, leaving for a trip. Like, things are going on. And this girl's kind of just thrown into the middle of it. And it opens up with a dream sequence. Like, kind of cut, intercut with her arriving at this location. And first of all, I'm pretty convinced that they had, like, an extra few days at the location after they removed all the furniture. And they're like, quick, let's film some, <laughs> Like, let's film something in this empty house. Because it's, like, it's a barren, empty house for, like, no real apparent reason. It's very strange. But also... One of my biggest gripes with this film is, like, I understand the purpose of using a dream sequence if it's incorporated properly, and if it's not, like, I don't know, abused. And this movie, more than any film I've ever seen, abuses the usage of a fucking dream sequence. Because I'd say roughly 50% of this movie is a goddamn dream sequence. Oh, yeah, and it's filmed in a very, like slow motion way that it's just, it's a chore to sit there and watch this bitch walk around the house. This, we're not exaggerating. Walk around this empty house for about an hour. Just same blank expression on her face. She's supposed to be reacting to like scary noises and she doesn't react to anything. Not only that, it is being intercut with like this random guy who we have no idea who he is in a hospital bed in a mental institution, apparently while she's walking around the house and entering the house, he's in the bed, like rolling around, throwing a fit. 
it's just a very in your face just let's throw everything at the audience within the first five minutes of the film and make it as slow and confusing as possible and see oh because we're trying to be clever we don't we're not we're not following the slasher conventions we're good we're trying to be a little bit more high highbrow and i'm like yeah, it's yeah. definitely not highbrow. If, if anything, it just makes for a very convoluted experience as the viewer. Um, they, the editing choices, like, I guess it could have worked if they chose, you know, go back and forth and do this, like, you know, intercut scenes that are happening at the exact same time. But it's done at such a rapid pace. And some there are some points that I don't even know that they've transitioned to back to a different location. There's one specific moment where they cut to a shot of a female doctor arriving at her house with like you know just walking into her home and it's like a back shot she like walks in and like that's all it is and then it cuts back and i'm like wait a minute who was that character wait a minute that was the doctor like it was literally just me seeing this doctor arriving home it served absolutely no purpose it almost feels like they use this like cut tech their, their intercutting technique to like bridge gaps or maybe like make up for some flaws which i mean this is a low budget production and it shows and i wouldn't be shocked if they were trying to like you know cover up some errors but it does make for a very um disorienting experience and not in a good way that's a great word disorienting that it really is disorienting to the viewer because it's so many different like looking settings it's the same house but in some shots it's empty like you said in some shots it's set up as the sorority and then in other shots it's set up as it was as the family house where this family that lived there before got killed but there's no like flow to any of it it's like a bunch of just these random jumbled scenes thrown together that are supposed to be like flashbacks and then you get a scene of her apparently it's supposed to be her as a little girl now roaming around the house uh, and staring up the stairs and it's like okay after that nonsense and we kind of get to our store. We found out, yeah, that Beth is a Beth that arrives at this sorority house and she is quickly introduced to, we got, uh, our, we got Linda who takes her up to her room and we find out that she is staying there to see if she wants to join the sorority because they're like, Ooh, just here's your room and just wait by the weekend. You're going to want to join this sorority. And out of all the houses, in all the world, and all the and all the colleges, this house ends up being a very specific house. Another issue mm-hmm. I have: this story. I'm I'm willing to stretch my reality a little bit, but for this house to be the sorority house that this specific individual is considering attending, get the fuck out of here! Get the fuck out! Nonsense. Also, I gotta say it right <laughs> now: I will never, ever support a final girl, female lead, with a short, cropped, very masculine side part haircut. It, it, I don't like her, and I definitely don't fucking like her <laughs> hair. And I don't want anything to do with her. I just got to throw it out there now. <laughs> well, she's here to stay, Roger. She is here to stay. <laughs> Imprinted in, in my mind. <laughs> she's singed into my brain. She'll never go away, that fucking hair. I hate it. She gives strong lesbian well, <laughs> lawyer vibes. This woman is definitely a lesbian lawyer. I bet you anything she's well, she, a farmer at this you know, point she, or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know who she looked like she looked like um joyce uh what was her name who played the the lead in uh just one of the guys when after she when she was posing as a guy you know you know the movie i'm talking about uh yeah but I mean, it's not coming to me the actress 
Um, but, I, but it's just, I mean, it looks like her yeah. playing the guy. Oh, well, yeah, she definitely, she look, she's giving me full-on Yentl vibes. Like, she definitely seems as though she's masquerading as a man, until you just realize that that just happens to be, I guess, the style of the era. The, the costumer slash hair, hair person did a horrible job of creating this character's look. She's very, very dumpy. Frump a dump. And I, I just don't like looking at her. Um, but yeah, so, and, and not to say the other girls are any better. I mean, at least some of them have personality. But the wardrobe, again, the wardrobe. We next we meet Sarah, who is literally well, no, wearing. Wait, hey, just wait. I know. Just wait. Wait. Okay. Wait. Wait. Okay. We're getting there. Okay. We, you're okay. gonna save that part for me. Okay. Okay. You're yeah. Yo, you get. You get it. <laughs> you deserve it. <laughs> No, because basically Beth shows up to the sorority house to go to bed because it's like I said, it's like midnight that she shows up. So they put her to bed. Now, when she's in bed, she has a dream and you can tell that a nightmare on Elm Street just came out because we have the exact same fucking scene of Beth walking up to the house in slow motion. And there just happens to be three little girls sitting on the front lawn and it's all very slow motion and it's a horribly acted scene as beth approaches the house one of the little girls is like where are you going and beth is like in there in the house yes be careful and i don't know it's is this supposed to be creepy I mean, I think there's a lot of things that they are trying to make creepy in this movie, and they just don't succeed across the board. Although, <laughs> although I do have to say, the next so Beth goes up to the house, turns around, the three little, three little Nightmare on Elm Street girls are staring at her. She does go in the house, and I will say this: there is one one t- creepy scene in the film, and it's here when she walks into the dining room, and there are like these mannequins yeah. that are sitting around the di- dining room table. Those are creepy. But does this bitch react? No. No, she has a dead blank-eyed expression Does this bi- Okay. And does this bitch react when blood literally starts dripping from the ceiling onto the dining room table? Does she react? No. no. She looks at it and walks away. It's for I her, would be like- fucking screaming my head off. It's and running out the door like any other day for her. She like every her response <laughs> to everything is a her mouth is slightly parted and her eyes are wide as saucers, and they're just she just gaping mouth looking at things like uh like there's no emotion at all. Um and and there are so many points throughout this whole sequence that yes I would be like okay I would react I would get the fuck out of here but she just kind of like moseys her way up the staircase no big deal. Yeah, a, a, th- a jar of marbles falls off the bookshelf, doesn't phase her. A baby's crying in the bed, doesn't phase her. She lifts the bed sheet to where this baby's crying. There's no baby there, but it's full of ble- blood, doesn't phase her. But then she does wake up. This is when she wakes up the, in the morning from the from this dream. And this is when you get Sarah yes. come, comes into the room. Your idol. And <laughs> Sarah is wearing... Perhaps the best outfit I've seen in my entire life. It is a pineapple dress with a crop top. Matching skirt. Matching skirt. It's a crop top, pineapple dress, and a pineapple skirt. And uh, she's like, oh, are you Beth? And Beth's like, yeah. And Sarah proceeds to say, she just met this girl. She's like, 
You wouldn't have to have a sweater to go with this, would you? No, Sarah, she doesn't have a fucking sweater to go with it. You know why? Because it's a fucking pineapple dress. That's why. Who has a sweater? There is not a single piece of clothing I can fathom. And I'm a gay man. I can get real creative. There is not a single piece of wardrobe that could possibly go with that pineapple dress. It is horrible. But you know what? Sarah's got a quirky personality. And okay. I'll buy it. Overall, out of all the girls, I like her the most. And it's not saying a lot. But Sarah also does proceed to say, hey, what's on your arm? (laughs) There's a massive, like, (laughs) mangled scar on Beth's arm. And, like, no big deal. She points it out. Like, it's not a big deal whatsoever. I will say during that flashback sequence a moment ago that before she, you know, woke up, in which she wandered through a house and every possible ominous thing happened. Blood dripping from the ceiling, blood in the bed sheets, wax dolls at the, <laughs> at the dining table. She did see a specific knife on the table. Oh, this knife comes into play. I want to point that out. Oh, many, many, many times, times, many times. And seeing the scar, you already start to piece things together. I mean, this movie—it doesn't just spoon feed you the details. It like it literally <laughs> it bounds you bounds you down to the chair. It straps your neck back. It puts one of those metal things in your mouth that keeps your jaw open, and it pumps the story down your throat. Like, it is already very obvious what we're getting into with this. Um, And Beth's placement in the whole ordeal, though it is very confusing as to how she specifically got into this location and situation, it's very quick that you start to understand who she is and what her relationship is to this location in this story yeah Yeah. it's it's easy to figure out they think they're building some sort of mystery but it's i mean it's pretty obvious so we get all the other we get introduced to basically all the other girls that live in the sorority and let's say the fashion in this scene is you have cindy walking out in her hot pink like a linebacker uh, (laughs) yeah it's like a what the fuck is she wearing she's wearing like a pink uh, it's like a pink business suit and these uh, like (laughs) with shoulder pads (laughs) They're you going could, to class, right? They're going to class, but I mean, they're I, not going to. She's not. She's not going to work at State Farm Insurance Company. They're going to their biology class. No, but like later on, Cindy also like they're going for like a trip. A bunch of the girls are leaving for something, and Cindy proceeds to come out in a ball gown that is the exact same color of electric pink. So maybe this woman only has clothing for formal attire. I don't know. But like one thing that is very awkward is Cindy's stride like it looks as though this woman cannot walk in heels i'd say she's another friend of the family of the director (laughs) i feel the director is just handing out roles and she's like you i want you to play cindy i need you to strut into the room because cindy comes wobbling in like a clydesdale (laughs) with these with these linebacker shoulder pads that like literally she looks like she could like land herself like as an uh, as an airplane like they're the widest shoulder pads i've ever seen in my life it looks like if an air current if an air current picked her up she'd sail away (laughs) (laughs) she's a bitch though because sarah's like hey cindy can i please borrow your pink jacket and she's like a notice pink and cindy's like not a chance and struts away her only line by the way (laughs) her only line but then we do get sweet what's her name linda is it linda oh linda with her sensible bob I like Linda. Okay, I I like Linda. Linda is sweet. Yeah. Uh, And she lets uh, Sarah borrow a pink jacket. And 
we we get right away that Linda's the friendly one. She's gonna she's the helpful one. She has a horrible haircut, but she's a nice nice hey, girl. Who doesn't have a horrible haircut in this movie? Like, let's be real, everybody. Yeah, Beth Beth now is in the bathroom mirrors, just staring at herself when this random naked girl gets out of the shower, boobs, bush, everything, and you can see that Beth really wants to look, but she's trying not to. Closet lesbian. I mean, did you see her wardrobe that she's wearing? Her her flannel on top and plaid on the bottom looks like it's cut from like a dinner cloth ensemble. We will get there because all the other girls are wearing these ex- like very extravagant dress ensembles, and we get her in her fucking picnic cloth pants and shirt. But Tracy comes in t- and tries to talk to her about, oh, hey, Beth, you haven't you you ready to have some fun this weekend? And Beth's like. Uh, yeah, I need it. And even even fucking Tracy goes out in the to the rest of the girls, and she's like, "What the fuck is her problem?" Oh, she's a she, wet blanket. She sure is. She, she she sure is sour. And they're like, "Oh, be nice." Her aunt just died. Yeah. To even that, her response is very subdued to everything. Everything. Um, yeah, she's really, like, not the life of the party. And these girls are really working overtime trying to, like, be fun and be nice and welcome her into the circle. And, uh, I mean, Beth gives me a strong standoffish presence. I don't understand why people are so nice to her, but okay, whatever. And as soon as I would see her in that goddamn picnic wardrobe, like you said, I would instantly not be her friend. Because it is, there's a lot of bad outfits in this movie. She's got the worst. Yeah, she looks like she's she looks like she's on her way to bingo, uh, and the other girls are all in their ensembles, and they they leave the sorority house. They're walking to class. Beth forgot her book, so she has to run back in and get it. And everyone's like, "Oh, we'll wait for you. We'll wait for you." So they're outside waiting for her. She goes up back to her room, and just when we thought like fucking Cindy and, and Beth were awkward, we get the king of awkward in this film and it is the male killer because we see him standing in a mirror and he is just staring at Beth in the mirror and again she has zero reaction to this then he raises the knife like super awkwardly it's just like again she has no reaction and then he stabs it forward still no reaction she just stands there I feel like in, when directing her, they're like, we need you to scream. Like, we please give something. Give us something. Give us some form of response. Because she literally just, it cuts back and it seems it's almost like they're playing the same clip of footage of her looking <laughs> very still, just watching this mirror, like, dead-faced. Um, and then finally, she finally does scream, doesn't she? She actually, like, reacts. no. She doesn't scream. Linda comes in and to get her and she's standing there and Linda's like, Beth, Beth, are you okay? And and Beth's like, oh, I just saw a guy, a weird guy. And, and Linda's like, well, there's no guy in here because if there was, Tracy would have found him. <laughs> and poor Linda is wearing something else. It's like this blue denim yes. thing with white cowboy boots. Uh, it's like pearls. a powder blue business suit there so much of this podcast is just gonna be us, uh, us analyzing the wardrobe it's the movie is disposable the wardrobe is where it's at that's the real meat and potatoes of this review <laughs> and we're gonna give you a full rundown of everybody's outfit choice just just so you listeners know and are clear 
Um, it is a powder blue, like, jacket piece with a matching skirt, but there's a white cowboy boot uh, thing going on. And yes, there are pearls. Um, and it is, it is, and you're right, she doesn't scream. There's one, one moment in this movie where she screams. I'm trying to pinpoint where it is because, again, she really just doesn't ever respond. It's the exact same response all the time. One thing I need to say with this whole moment that also did not work for me, and this carries through the whole movie, I do not favor slashers that put it all out there and they show, show who the killer is right yeah. off the bat. I think it, it takes a huge element of mystery out of it. Um, and I can think of very few slashers where that you know, just hand off who the killer is right away that I actually really enjoy this one. Yeah. It doesn't help that this, the guy is like the least like scary looking guy I've, you could, you could have picked. And like I said, he's so awkward in his movements and facial expressions and stuff that it really makes it hard to picture him as, as being ominous or scary. This dude is like a dork. Uh, and yeah. I just don't understand even his name, even his name, Robert, Robert Hinkle. Hinkle. Like you got, you got Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, Robert Hinkle. Like, <laughs> he is the least yeah, intimidating. He's not a good, not a good antagonist, not a good villain at all. And I, I mean, I don't know what they were thinking. I, I mean, I feel like, like I'm going to say it again. This film is very much a carbon copy of the slumber party massacre. If you think about the slumber party massacre, you have the same type of killer who that killer at slumber party massacre was actually pretty damn creepy, but, but, and we knew who he was from the start too. They didn't make any qualms about hiding his identity. It's Russell Thorne, but he was creepy. The guy who played him really got into character and, and was creepy. This yeah. guy is not. No, that I will. Yeah, it's a matter of personality. Yeah, I think it's her brother, the director's brother. She's like, here, come on. Mom, yeah. mom said you get to be in this movie with us. Anyway, so after yeah. this, we get the hospital again, and Robert Hinkle is going berserk in the room, beating on the walls. He's just freaking out. And this is when we get introduced to the female doctor. I don't even remember Doctor Something Patty. I don't know her character. Her character is literally as forgettable. It as is. Her name. Well, what kills me is she looks younger than every sorority girl in the damn movie. They just threw some glasses yeah. on her, but she literally looks younger than the sorority girls. But she's the doctor. She comes in wondering what triggered it. And they open the door to like, you know, contain him. And the he immediately attacks the orderly. And thro- that's... They it. like shove him back in. Yeah, they shove them and both like, in together. Uh, well, I don't... Listen, I don't know a whole lot about anything within the medical field to be clear, anything. Um, But it seems to me that these doctors uh, do not seem to be following what I would assume to be a proper protocol uh, with with this gentleman whatsoever. I think at one point, even earlier in the movie, two of the orderlies mentioned, like, having to tape him down. Oh, they taped him down, yeah. They taped him down. And, like, yes, okay, I understand he is a mental patient, but that, to me, does not (laughs) seem to be humane or acceptable well, no, in the, any metal institution. He, well, even the one guy after the the one orderly says, well, I taped, I just taped him down. And the guy's like, can you do that? And he's like, well, do you want to listen to him all night? Very reasonable. Yeah, he's just, 
punching walls. I mean, this guy's got irrational anger issues. They don't really explore it. They don't really say why. All we know, he's in a, he's in a mental institution. He's killed people, and that's all. They leave it at that. But they are looking at uh, doing some form of brainwave testing on him. They're, they're, <laughs> I mean, they are looking to like explore like how his brain works with this. What is the machine they're using? What is it? I don't know. I think it's just something they made up for this movie. A brain scan. I mean, it's a it's a thing. It's where they do like you know the metal bars like like it looks kind of like when you're doing like a, a lie detector, detector test. test or, yeah. <laughs> but it's you know it's reading his brain waves and yeah the, these things exist. They do exist, but I don't know if they exist for the purpose of what they're using it for. It seems like a real reach. And why would they want to use it on this guy who's irrationally violent? They do though, but that's that's coming up because now we cut back to the to the girls walking down the street, very Halloween, you know, walk down the street holding your class books, and we we get a story. This is when Sarah, the quirky Sarah, tells a story about a psych a pig that was what was taken away from its home and driven like quarter miles away, but it found its way back home because of the, the psychic connection it had with the family or something. There's like four stories that are told in this film about psychic connections. If they, again, if the film didn't think that you got what the whole premise of the movie was and why this killer was coming after Beth, they give you four stories about psychic connections where people have such animals have such a psychic connection that they find their way back to their owners or whoever abandoned them. They nail it into your brain. They like, they really like they, they force it on you. And it's honestly the only branch of story that's a consistent throughout the whole thing <laughs> is. Yeah. Because uh, about, th- yeah. about two minutes later, there's another story about psychic animals because now we get sort of, yeah, now we sort of get a little, I don't even, it's not really a montage. It's just a little peek into the class, the class lives of the girls. So you have Linda who's late for a pop quiz, a psychology pop quiz. Tracy's watching a video in her class, but she's looking at a fashion magazine because of course she is. And Beth is in her literature class. And please tell me if this scene reminds you of a scene from another well-known slasher flick. Like reminds me of like twelve because there's so many scenes where like somebody well, is there's a dream- a, well the 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 no 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 the original where you have the girl sitting in her English class Nightmare. the teacher's lecturing about fate and she happens to look out the window Halloween. and see the killer standing yeah, <laughs> yeah. this is this is Halloween this is this is basically re remaking the scene of of Lori in her English class right down to the teacher talking about deja vu and fate. And Beth happens to look over and see the killer staring in the window, all bloody. And again, does she react? No, no, it, it, she reacts because she sees a vision of a knife come through her desk. But even that she's like, Oh, and that's, and that's the thing is there's these moments that, I mean, this movie is very much Halloween vibes. But it also very much it came out at the time of how of um I'm sorry of Nightmare on Elm Street because there are these like they use these dream sequences to have these kind of like shock moments and they do it a few times where like you'll have her dreaming and all of a sudden there'll be like you said the knife coming through the the desk and all of a sudden she snaps awake and she goes she doesn't mind you she doesn't scream she just goes <gasps> and and everybody just turns around and looks at her she like lets out like a light gasp and um. It makes for a very anticlimactic response to the moment. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then you cut back to Sarah's classroom, and this is where the guy, her boyfriend, Andy, right? The dorky Andy is telling her about an experiment that they did with a mother cat and her kittens, and the mother cat knew exactly when her kittens were being killed because of the brainwave connection. Again, let's hammer it home that their psychic connection. Hmm. Yeah, you get the idea because they use this trope, this story, so many times within such a short period of time, you just know that it's going to come back into play. Like, it, it doesn't leave any mystery or suspense. It's just obviously forced into the storyline for the sake of being foreboding. Yeah, now you get the scene where the dude's in the hospital hooked up to the machine, and they're asking him questions about why he went into such a rage and the doctors and they're asking him, is it somebody, you know, is it something in the hospital? And he's like, no. And the little machines go and she's like, is it a dream? And it starts to go a little bit faster. And the doctor's like, yeah, yeah, it's a dream. Is it a person you dreamt about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it goes berserk. Was it somebody, you know, and it goes really berserk. And he's like, the guy's like, Laura. And they're like, oh my God, he can talk. (laughs) Yeah, one thing this does, when the name Laura comes into play, another shit that they stole from another film series, as we'll come to learn, they do it all within one movie, so it makes for just a very confusing story arc, because as you, I mean, let's just put it all out there, as you come to find out, Beth is Laura. So sometimes she's referred to as Beth, sometimes she's referred to as Laura, but you're not given a Halloween 1 and 2 story arc that takes the time period of two movies to really develop and flesh this out. No. In a, it, this movie is an hour and like 14 minutes long, and they like yeah, they short. plow through it. And so he's talking about Laura. We all know who the fuck Laura is, but as we soon come to find out, it is Beth. But um, there are times that this name Laura comes up, and at first you're kind of like, who the fuck is he talking about? It's, it's not elegantly handled. No, no. And at the same time, Beth is back at the sorority house. She goes into the house and she sees Mrs. Lawrence. And they, they have a little conversation where Mrs. Lawrence is apparently the house mother. Yes. Uh, I'm assuming. And she's like, I'm going out of town. You know, I left my number on the refrigerator. And I'm like, what the hell are these girls? Twelve? And so Laura goes back into the house or Beth goes back into the house. And now she has another vision. Has she no peace? Does this girl have no peace? She has a vision of Robert in the house coming after her. So she runs back out of the house and runs right into Mrs. Lawrence. And there's a short little, there's a little minor jump scare. And Miss Lawrence is like, what are you doing? And now we cut back to the guy in the hospital now going berserk. He like stands up, rips the thing, the things off of him and is going berserk and they have to sedate him. So they sedate him and they put him in bed. But apparently the sedative doesn't work. It doesn't work, (laughs) but we'll get there because now we cut back to the house and the girls are home. Oh, we have Beth. We have Linda. We have Sarah. We have Tracy. They're the only ones left at the sorority house, and they are like, we are going to make the best of this. We're going to have a blast. So the first thing, you know, the first thing Sarah thinks of to do when you're by yourself and you're an 18-year-old, 19-year-old college student and you have no supervision is what does she want to do? We should eat Sarah, We should eat Sarah's ice cream. I'm like, you fucking rebel. You go, Sarah. 
That's the first thing I'd want to do, too. And the second thing they want to do <laughs> is try on Cindy's motherfucking clothing, which I do support, and I'd be right there with them. <laughs> yes. Tracy's like, do you know what I've been dying to do? Try on all of Cindy's clothes. And this leads into one of the most aggressive <laughs> costume wardrobe montages I've ever seen. It is cue the yeah cue the cue, cue, cue the horror music and let's yeah. get this the, the horror music that really does not fit the scene. It's like a jazzy all. saxophone, and these girls. I mean, they're trying on everything. It's probably a good, I'd say, like genuinely, probably like a minute and forty five seconds of just dancing and changing wardrobes and clothing piling up in the 1980s style like bloop, 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 clothing flying the through the, it's flying yeah. through the air all while beth mopes on the bed uh, well of course she is because she's a, a frumpy lesbian she'd never want to wear that clothing but um uh, i they it, you can tell that this is the scene where i said earlier you can tell the scene is directed by a woman but they're like well you can you can have a fashion montage but like Make it straight. <laughs> so like, we need some these, titties. We need to. So these girls, like, it's one of the few times that any of the female leads get topless. There's another scene in the movie where one of them does, but these girls, like, between trying on these very extravagant wardrobe choices, they like strip down and they're just like in their panties, like doing their thing, full boobs, just flipping and flopping all around. It seems very like uncomfortable. It, it doesn't really work. For me, I mean, what in this movie does work? Let's be real. But this moment seems very shoehorned in. Oh, it was definitely like, let's like, much like last week, this was a scene that was that had some shoehorned in boobs. Hey, we need some boobs in this. Here, here's the perfect place to put them. Take your tops off, girls, and rub, rub against each other awkwardly yes. while you try on some of these wardrobe fashions, which were hideous. It's all like floral loud floral dresses and tops and none of it's cute none of it's cute it's like dollar general store barbie clothes it's horrible no and one thing Anyways. i'm really acknowledging right now is like reviewing this movie is super difficult to stay on track because it literally cuts back and forth so much that you don't really have a through like it's hard to sit and analyze a scene because in the middle of like a moment it'll cut back to the hospital for like 10 seconds and then it'll cut back to the girls and they'll cut back to the hospital and like it's like it literally is like i'm, I'm grabbing at straws right now trying to like keep a hold of the storyline because it's all over the fucking place yeah you're right, because at this point, Linda notices Beth moping on the bed. And it's like, oh, what's the matter, Beth? Don't you like to play dress up? And Beth's like, well, I just can't stop thinking about these dreams I'm having. And this is when we find out Linda apparently knows a lot about dreams. So she's like, I know about of dreams. Of course she does. Yeah, so we're going to analyze them. Now we cut back to the hospital. Uh, this is when an orderly goes into Robert's room to clean or to give him food and he's abruptly attacked has his head beat against the wall and robert easily just walks out of the hospital this guy's escape is so effortless like i mean he kills a man yes but first of all that guy had it fucking coming who goes into a like mental patient's room with headphones on like 
completely distracted. That man had it coming. Oh, you yeah. Know, if I was Robert Henkel, I would have taken the same <laughs> risk and just been like, okay, yeah, I'm definitely bashing this guy's head in because it's so easy. He's so distracted. But then, like, there is nobody else around in this mental hospital. The doors are open. The gates are open. He just literally runs down a hallway, runs out a door, and jumps a fucking fence. Easy as that. There's no security. Nothing. This is a guy who murdered his entire family, and they just kind of are like, yeah, let him go. Hey. Um, and I know, like, horror movie logic is exaggerated, and these things are like, okay, you've just got to roll with it. But this movie makes it very hard to roll with it. A lot of the choices and a lot of the characters do not react like normal people or like nothing happens the way I anticipate something actually would in reality. So it's a hard pill to swallow after like bad choice after bad choice, after confusing event, after confusing event. It just is very, um, like we said before, it's jumbled. It's all over the place. It's very hard to follow. Yeah. So now back at the sorority house, the girls are all on the bedroom floor and they are going to analyze Beth's dreams and even uh, Sarah has a dream analyzation book that she brought out and she's like, we're going to crack this baby. And they're talking about like what they're going to drink. They're going to make some martinis and gin and tonics. And Beth is like, Oh, I'll take two. No, you won't Beth. You fucking liar. You are, you are, you are a wet blanket. You're not going to drink nothing. Shut up. Can't stand. You'll her. have a, a glass of scotch that you'll sip on through the evening. <laughs> like the lesbian that you are. She is this, just. Yeah. This whole aspect too. It's like pack a fucking lunch because it's drawn out and they're talking about dreams for like, I don't know, a third of the movie. And it is boring. Like I, it's not, it's not done in like an exciting way. So like yawn. Okay. Move on. Yeah. They're like, Oh, well, what's a, you, you talked about dolls. Well, that represents childhood. Oh, and then you're talking about a guy. Well, that represents a male. Well, no fucking shit. And it just happens. All these things that, that they're mentioning are all on the same page because you notice that Sarah never turns the page one time. They're like, oh, what, what, what about a knife? What does that represent? And Sarah like looks at the same page that dolls and fucking men and everything has been on. Never changes, never turns the page. So this must be just everything that. Well, she's such a good student that it's just already in it's in her brain. She doesn't even need the book. <laughs> well, no, because that this this when you get Linda. Linda's like. Because uh, Tracy makes some comment, some smart ass comment, and Linda's like, "I wish you guys would stop." making fun of my major because dreams are very personal so apparently linda is majoring in what dream analysis how convenient right? i think she's a psych i think she's a psych major but like the focus that they place on dreams makes it like okay what are the fucking chances i mean i'm sure there's an aspect within psych in which they analyze dreams a little bit but like this girl is an encyclopedia of knowledge when it comes to dream analyzation. Uh, and it just, like I said, it's just like a yawn fest. It's, it's very much just more material to really hit home. Exactly. When the twist happens, you know, they're, they're really just setting up for the big reveal, which is not shocking at all. So the whole conclusion, um, the whole thing is basically that Tracy figures out is that, Beth must be scared of sex with a man. And I'm like, yes, yes, she is because she's a lesbian. Yes, you're, you, you got something right. Is she scared? Right. 
or was she just repulsed by it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We well, we know. Anyways, you get cut to now. The killer walks into this like store, like this hardware store, and just goes right over and busts the counter glass, pulls a knife out, and this old man, I guess the shop clerk or whatever, comes around. He's like, "Hey, what are you doing?" And he's promptly stabbed in the gut. And he, this old fucker, wherever they found him, hey, I got to give this guy props because he made the most of his death death scene. He was trying to sell it, even though you could tell he was a horrible actor and had no fucking, this is the only thing he's ever done on camera. At least he was trying. He was trying. It's the best kill in the movie. In my he was like, oh, <laughs> it's, oh. It's pretty brutal. Yeah, like it's brutal because he literally just, the guy comes up to confront him and he just stabs him right in the stomach. This is also a point where it becomes all too clear just how much this movie wants to be Halloween. And like we've said it before, there have been plenty of things like from the the long walking shots of the three girls to the whole thing of, like you said, in the classroom. Um, But at this point, this very much gives me vibes of like the whole like he's going to get his mask. And then right after this, he goes and he finds a car. And and what is it? It's a station wagon. Yeah, it's the exact same car. Like it's it's not even subtle in its ripoffs. It's it's glaring, and it doesn't make for like a nod or a homage. It it genuinely feels like a blatant ripoff. Back at the sorority house, the U-Haul shows up with all the stuff for the powwow, including a giant statue of an Indian, a giant tent, and all sorts of Native American gear that these students proceed to just take in the backyard and like yay we're having our powwow and tracy's like yeah i'm tired of the same old boring stuff we're gonna have a we're gonna have a real life teepee why like what what (laughs) what motivated this theme first of all second of all there is another costume choice uh change uh the, the the costume choices are again very extravagant over the top it's an unnecessary costume change, but I think any budget that this movie had went into wardrobe. I'm I'm assuming because yet again the girls are in new pieces of clothing. It's very confusing. They have about seven outfits in one day. Yeah, yeah. So this is when we see now the guy, the killer Robert, like steal the station wagon from a gas station parking lot. And like the owner, this middle-aged soccer mom's like, hey, that's my car. And she tries to run after him. He just runs her over, <laughs> knocks her down. <laughs> and, um, we do also get introduced to the group of men. Oh, like God. The, first, well, I say men because the men, these men are all pushing 40 and each one is less attractive than the next. Like it is one of the roughest <laughs> ensembles I have seen in a while. These guys like, man, they, they look like they're trying to sell me a 401k. Like not one of them is even remotely attractive. Well, maybe, okay. Maybe, maybe, um, Craig, Craig, I was going to say Craig. And I always say that Craig is not, yeah, bad. you see his cute little butt. But like, oh, the other God, ones Andy. are rough to look fucking Andy. Looks like, yeah, he yeah, he's a oof. and then the other one. Well, and there's another thing. There's another thing to acknowledge. There is there's like a, a fourth guy with them when they arrive. Yeah, but the he's blonde. but he yeah. that is Linda's boyfriend who wants to go rafting. Remember, that's all yeah. she talks about. It's is like her. And it's so. So disposable. why was he there? Like, why? Like. I feel like they wrote him out <laughs> because you know he didn't want to do it I anymore. I really think that you're right. I think they may have hired him to like 
and he's like, oh, shit, I can't do it. And he had to back out. So like, oh, well, let's just say he wants to go rafting instead of spe-. because she mentions it a couple times. She's like, well, Steve is here is going to come this weekend, but he wants to go rafting. And uh, Sarah's like, oh, he's a slug. And then he does show up to the powwow and he's with Linda. And Linda's like, you know, you can stay here with me this week. And he's like, nope, I'm going to go rafting. And yeah, he leaves and he's never weird. he's never heard from again. Like, why introduce a character for only the purpose of explaining that they're not going to be around? It's very it made, strange. It made whatever. zero sense. So this car, the station wagon is traveling down the interstate, heading to L.A. There is kind of a cool scene, though, of the car pulling up the driveway and to the sorority house and going right towards the girls. And you do think it could for a second could be the killer, but it's not, it, this is when you get introduced to the guys, the guys all come out of this yeah. car that you think yeah. is going to be the killer, but it's not. And we get introduced. It's, it's John is John fucking Andy Craig, Craig. and then the random blonde haired guy that left to go rafting. I, okay. Um, the group it then, it, Oh, now the hospital, we cut to the hospital now, eight hours later, <laughs> is just now realizing that this guy's missing. Okay, this scene is probably, out of all the scenes in this movie that infuriate me, which there are many, this scene takes the fucking cake. There, You want to talk about actors in this film who are understated or uh, who have very sedated reactions to things? I've got a problem with this detective because this fucker comes in. He hates his fucking job, apparently, because he's going about it like it's no big deal that some mental patient just killed a man and is now on the loose. He, like, takes out his notepad. He's taking notes. He's talking to an orderly who also doesn't seem all too concerned like, neither of these guys seem very worried, and it very much gives me a vibe of, like, we'll get to it. Like, yeah, we should call the doctor and figure out what's going on. He's like, tell me about this guy's background, and the orderly's like, well, they don't really tell me. The doctors keep that for themselves. And I'm like, listen, I don't care what his background is. He just killed an employee and managed to escape. Where are all the cops? Yeah, they don't. They're they're in no hurry. They're in no hurry, and he they don't even want to call the cops. They're like, "Oh, call Doctor So and So." She and he's like, "I don't want to bother her at home, dude." Her patient just fucking escaped from the hospital. She probably needs to know that, but nope. Everybody needs to know. Yeah, the news. Yeah. Tell the news. Like, tell people. Let people know there's a mental patient who has a history of killing people. I, I'm a loose. Like, sound the alarm. But no, everyone is just a-okay. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. So back at the sorority, I keep, I keep, we're, you're going to hear that a lot because this film just intercuts. But back at the sorority, the group is putting the teepee up in the backyard. Which is not okay. It's not well, and well. Craig and Tracy are like, oh, we're going to go inside to help put it up. And they, of course, start making out. And the group lets the teepee fall on them. And we're supposed to laugh because that's supposed to be hilarious. And instead, it's just stupid. It, 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 the whole thing is just kind of awkward. I think it's just because of the whole Native American thing in general that I just I kind of cringed through the whole sequence. But the whole scene is uncomfortable. And one of the things that really makes this 
aspect of the movie hard like hard to swallow is all of the men look like they're pushing 40, especially the character of John, who I'm assuming has to be roughly 47. And, like, he's starting to make moves on Beth. And you've got frumpy lesbian Beth, who I would assume would want nothing to do with anyone, let alone a middle-aged father of four like John. And... And you've got John just kind of like slick willy in it, like being like, you know, hey, how you doing? It makes for what is, I would say, the single most unappealing couple I have seen in a horror movie to date. These two have no chemistry. The chemistry in this, between any of these couples, really, other than Craig and, and um, it was it T- Tracy, those two, they're, they're fine. Everybody else, it is like, oh, it just kind of makes my skin crawl. Oh yeah, you, I you're I you're not selling to me that fucking Sarah is dating that fucking Andy guy. There's no way. And then where did John come from? Because Sarah, or I'm sorry, Beth is brand new to the sorority, right? Nobody's supposed to be there, so uh, nobody. She just got there. So how how did this date with John get set up? Because you do there is a moment in the film where Beth is like, Oh, some date. And I'm like, how were you guys on a fucking date? Where did he come from? How did you, you may, you're not trying to tell me that this bitch got a date that quick after being, when she mopes around and doesn't say a word to fucking anybody, she's not getting no damn date. That I was quick. assuming that maybe John was the older man that rented these men, the U-Haul, <laughs> maybe a neighbor that owned a property down the street where he and his family of seven live. I don't know. But yeah, I, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying any of it. No. The lights now go out at the sorority house. Ooh, spooky. And the girls think the guys did it. And they are like, we didn't do it. And you kind of get a stupid jump scare with Andy lighting a match behind them and trying to scare <laughs> them. And then they start the talking. The only thing that scares me the only thing that scares me about that sequence is like Andy is pretty homely and <laughs> that lighting when he it really like made me go Ugh. <laughs> it's just not a flattering angle <laughs> no continue carry nothing, on <laughs> nothing is a flattering angle on Andy not with those braces oh my god and apparently <laughs> people now and this is never brought up it just again it's just like brought up now that this house is supposed to be haunted and they know the story like everyone knows the story that this house was a all of them are like oh yeah yeah that happened but how because beth has been telling you guys that she's having a dream about a guy with a knife this entire time and none of you linda you smart ass psychology major could be like oh well maybe you know you know a guy murdered his family here maybe you're having some sort of you know this is the first time that we realize that everyone knows that this house is a murder house and that this guy killed his family. Yeah. It's like, it's like town lure. Yeah. 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 yeah, But everyone knows. And and for Beth not to know anything, Beth is the only one who doesn't know about it yet. As we come to learn, Beth was part of it. So that also is mind-boggling. How she's not clued in. She's dumb. <laughs> she wants to go upstairs. She's like, I can't deal with this. I'm going to bed. So she goes upstairs. Um, John is sneaking around. Well, I don't know. Then it cuts to John somehow going upstairs. Was he going upstairs to spy on her or something? Because he's sneaking around and she comes out of the room to, I don't know, change or something. And he scares her. And this is when she's like, 
Oh, I'm going to call it a night. I'm so sorry. I'm I'm not I'm not any fun. Some date. And I'm like, you've probably said Beth, I don't know how many times in your life you've probably apologized for not being any fun because you are a goddamn sour puss if I've ever seen one in my life. She doesn't this like is not anything. Beth's first time bailing on a man. I'll say that. I am sure she's pulled the shtick with a man on a date multiple times now. Again, because she is a blatant lesbian <laughs> who who just finds the idea of a man repulsive. <laughs> or so I'm assuming, based off of how she looks. But um, we also have to acknowledge that there are still cutting back and forth with the hospital. Like, it's still happening. It's still the happening. People at the hospital are still not doing anything. No. Like, it is... It is becoming an issue. These people are kind of, they're just hanging out, waiting for the doctor to call back. They call her, it goes to her voicemail, and they're like, well, they leave her a voicemail. They leave her a message. And even the detective's like, oh, don't you guys keep like pagers or anything? And he's like, no, not for this stuff. Like, it's it's nonsense. It's fucking nonsense. Where where are the people that are going to do something about this escaped murderer? <laughs> no, they're nowhere. I do love that we get a couple of like intercut scenes with with the doctor, like getting home with her groceries, and, and there's like yeah, four scenes. That's she what walks, I was saying earlier. She walks by the answering machine and sees the light blinking and doesn't check the messages. Honest to God, I thought it was Cindy coming back to the the sorority house because she has like, she's got her like laundry over her shoulder. And I'm like, there's more of that electric pink. Like, everybody, people start to blur together because the intercuts are just so like out of nowhere. There's no flow to it. So yeah, you just get a singular shot of the doctor like arriving home and and then it goes to another moment. It's so unnecessary it could have been trimmed down but this movie is already so short that i think they're like use every fucking shot use all the footage i don't care where you put it yeah now here's roger where you're talking about where laura actually does scream she wakes up screaming out of a dream because she's dreaming that the guy is above her in the bunk above her stabbing the knife through the bunk and like blood is hitting her face. So she does actually scream at this point. So I wonder what the director did to finally get this bitch to do something other than just stare blankly at everything because she does scream. The others come running in the room and she's like, I had another dream. And Tracy, I like Tracy. Tracy's only concern is, uh, you know, Beth, uh, if you're planning on pledging the sorority, you realize other people have to sleep, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Tracy's, Telling it how it is. That's kind of like her only purpose is to kind of be like the sassy friend. And thank God, because we need her in this movie. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like someone must have threatened Beth with a penis or something to get that response. Because <laughs> up to this point, there has not been a single reaction. And it really was. I was literally like thinking like there is a I know there's one moment where she reacts which one is it? And you're right. It's this. It's when she wakes up from this nightmare where the killer is stabbing through her bed. And it, at this point, it's like, how much of this movie is going to be fucking dream sequences? Because I can't even differentiate. The way they film it now, like, sometimes it just looks like it's happening. And then all of a sudden, somebody wakes yeah. up. It's very confusing. It wakes up. Yeah. Uh, Tracy takes it upon herself to go outside to the fuse box because none of the other guys want to do it. So she takes it upon herself. She goes up there. 
Right when she's outside fixing the fuse, a figure rushes up behind her, grabs her. She knees him in the balls, and it's just Craig. Uh-oh. Oh, that Craig. And he falls backwards. He sure got out there quick. He gives us some real nice yeah. upper thigh because his shorts are so short. Like, you can basically you can basically see up to his butthole in these shorts. They're so high. Who wears short shorts? Craig wears short shorts. Craig well, he's, wears He's short not shorts. afraid to show anything because he's butt naked here in a minute. She kicks him in the nuts and he's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he's like, I was just coming out to tell you, I think we should spend the night in the teepee. Okay. You know, the only reason. That's not. They only uh, have the teepee in this damn movie for that one scene so people could get stabbed through it. I mean, let's be honest. That's the only reason this whole powwow thing exists. It's like, you know what? The writer, the director, Carol Frank, it's probably like, I need to have a movie where someone gets stabbed in a teepee. So here you go. Yeah, you know it's coming. And then once the moment that they say we're going to sleep out overnight in the TP, they're like, oh, here's another like blatantly obvious trope. We know what's going to happen. Yeah, Carry the on. station wagon pulls up in front of the house. And this Robert guy, he's pretty blatant. He, This isn't Michael Myers. This guy is not hiding behind bushes. He's not stalking. He is just full force like out to kill. He's just going to walk right up to the house. He yeah. ain't trying to hide or sneak around for nobody. He is on a mission. That's, I guess, what differentiates him a little bit from, you know, like a Michael Myers character is this guy is just, he doesn't care who sees him. He's just out to kill. Yeah, this, the, uh, the Robert, again, the least effective killer's name ever. Um, Robert, is it Robert Kenkel? <laughs> whatever. Kinkle, kinkle, whatever. He gives me vibes of, no, oh my god, what is the other, we watched another slasher with a very similar character who also looked very, like, <laughs> pale and tall and, like, Robert looks like Michael Myers if the mask, if Michael's mask was his face. Like, his face oh, yeah. is pale this, and doughy. <laughs> yeah, there's, I don't want to be mean, but yeah, there's, the actor that played him yeah, definitely has an odd look about him. Oh my god, what is the title? We reviewed another slasher that was very obvious with who the killer was, and he was not at all intimidating, and I'm, I'm blanking on it. We've already, by the way, we're on like review 36 good for us we, we've kept it going but um I are you am, talking I'm about, on the t- are you talking it. about uh memorial valley massacre no no the i'm talking about another dude. one no, no no i'm talking about another one and it'll, it'll i bet you it'll come to me at like 3 a.m i'll wake up and say it out loud and startle my boyfriend and wake him up or something but um <laughs> I'll, I'll think of it but it was another slasher that we watched that had another killer. oh final exam final exam Who's the killer in Final Exam? Was he? Is he just just the guy with the dark hair? He, the he's guy. The least, yeah, the, he. These these guys could be fucking brothers. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, you're yeah. right. It's Final Exam. Yeah. Yeah. They, yes, they they very much yeah. look alike. Yeah, you and they're 100% just as right. ineffective yeah, yeah, yeah. as the other. They're both but, so lame. This guy's a little bit lamer though. <laughs> this guy's way lamer. This guy's way lamer. Uh, anyway, Beth is now uh, up. And about up up and Adam, and she's now telling the group about her dream, where she wakes up in the in the house, but it's a different house, and she feels like she knows the guy, and then she ought to, Shelvison has a memory of him hiding a knife, and she's like, it's in the fireplace, and they're all like, ooh, let's check. Sure enough, they put the fire out. They and she's like, it's under that brick, and they pull it up, and lo and behold, there's this is a one knife of the, there. It's a like, hunting knife. Story. One of the one of the 
aspects of the film that actually I liked. I like that there's this moment where they're like, they think she's bullshitting, and all of a sudden, like, they reveal something to be true, and, it, like, how would you react to that moment? Now, unfortunately, I don't think they capitalize on, like, the fear of that. Like, if I were in that situation, if I were with lesbian Beth, and she was predicting what would be true of a knife being buried in my fireplace, and I dug into the brick and found it, I would instantly mm -hmm. be like, okay, this girl's never been here before. There, this is, this is foreboding. I would say that we should probably go with our gut instincts and look into this further or potentially leave. But they don't. They don't. The nerd guy grabs a knife and of course it's hot. So he tosses it around like a hot potato and lets it go and it flies up and lands uh, point first in, into the coffee table. And they're all staring at it for a minute and they're like, ooh, what's that on it? Is that dirt? And Angela's like, or fucking Beth is like, no, it's blood. And they're like, ew, it is blood. And again, none of them, none of them bad an eye. They're like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. And in no, fact, they're more entertained. Yeah, with Sarah it. even takes it and puts it on the mantle as like a prize. She's like, who? We are the haunted sorority here. Let's put our crown on the on the mantle. And Tracy doesn't like this, so she grabs it and throws it back in the fireplace. Meanwhile, now we cut to the doc. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, the doctor finally listens to her damn answering machine. Finally. And so she calls the hospital and they're going through the guy's file and she's like, get that address. He's going to head to her that he's going to head to her house, her last house. Get but she's that not address. giving us like, I mean, whereas a Dr. Loomis would have been like, Dr. She Loomis would have been like, he's she doesn't care. This broad, she's sitting there on her couch lounging. She finds the one voicemail that's been left for her. Not like, you know, I would suspect they'd maybe have left 30 at this point because somebody broke out of the mental institution. But uh, she's just like laying across her couch and she's like, oh, I don't really know where he would go. Hmm. And then she like picks up an envelope with the original address and she's like, oh, maybe he went back to the house. And like these fuckers couldn't be more blasé if they tried. Nobody cares that this guy got out. There's, yeah, nobody. Uh, in the meantime, nerd Andy has to leave for work. So he's back at the sorority. He has to leave for work. And as he's leaving, he is immediately approached by Robert. And Andy's like, hey, dude, what's your problem? And Robert stabs him four, five, four, three or four times in the stomach with a knife so hard, apparently, that the blade comes out of his back. Yeah, I, this was cool. I like the brutality. Like, you said this earlier, how he just... Robert just don't give a fuck. He's on a mission, and, and he's not he's not tiptoeing around it. He's getting right to the point. And I like that he just literally goes up in the middle of a lawn, stabs this guy in the gut, like, in, on, an, on like an open street in the middle of, like, a, a, the suburbs, just stabs this guy and leaves him there. The guy just drops, and, uh, and he just leaves him, and he proceeds to, like, walk up to the house. Um... And, and I'm happy that Andy was the first to go because he was very difficult to look at. Um, but I just feel that leaving the body behind is counterproductive. Like, if I am going on a murdering spree, I don't care how mad on a mission I am. I at least want to cover some of my tracks so I can get the job done. You know? Oh, yeah. Uh, now, not only is Linda a dream analysis expert, she is also a hypnotist, Roger. This bitch has multiple talents because she has hypnotized Beth at this point and asking Beth very like 
I mean, she's very professionally being, okay, what do you see? Beth's like, I'm a little girl. I'm five. I'm in my basement. And she's basically reliving the moment that after she found, she saw her brother, Robert, kill her family. She, as a little five-year-old girl, had run down in the basement and had hid in this little cubby hole. And again, you get a scene of this guy raising the knife. Again, this, the actor, they could have spent some time, like, practicing hey this is how you raise the knife to look cool and menacing he has the most ridiculously awkward knife raise i've ever seen and anyway so he raises the knife stabs beth as a little girl in her arm Ooh, where did that come into play earlier with a scar on her arm and beth is screaming her fucking head off and, and linda's like wake up wake up and she won't wake up and finally after the guy has stabs her in her in this hypnotist state she does wake up and she can't remember anything and they're like and and linda's like you can't remember anything and beth's like no like what can you remember when you're five and this is when sarah just has this awkward out of nowhere line where she's like i remember lime jello i'm like what the fuck the fuck what the fuck sarah what the fuck are you, the wrong yeah. time, wrong place to make that comment. We are talking about a guy brutally murdering her family, and you're like, oh, I remember Lime Jello. Well, if if anything be said for Sarah's wardrobe choices, I, I would say that she's not, you know, making the best decisions across the board, whether it be her fashion or her commentary. So um at this point I don't expect I expect a lot from these people. But um, I will say at this point, it's starting. It's like what you said with the knife, you know, the shot of the knife being brought up. I think that one thing that is kind of glaring now, as we're starting to get into the horror elements of the film, is there is not a great knowledge of how to film a horror movie. Not saying not knowledge of how to film a movie in general. It's not that the movie looks bad per se. I'm just saying that there are a lot of missed opportunities of what could be a good shot, an effective shot, a suspenseful moment, and it's kind of lost um, in just the way it's executed. And I think this movie definitely suffers from some execution issues. Um, and and um, maybe if it would have taken less time caring about things like a montage sequence and more time actually refining and polishing the horror of it all, it would have made for a more memorable feature. But I think you pointing out a simple thing like that, they didn't even take the time to train the the, the actor that plays the killer how to properly hold himself. And it shows. He's, he's very awkward. He's very awkward in most of his scenes. And, and I mean, when you have a killer that doesn't really translate to the to camera, well... You don't have a good if you don't have a good killer what the fuck do you have you know especially if you're trying to make a slasher flick exactly so so tracy and craig now go out to the tp and they start having some some sex and get you know her boobs are out he's naked uh robert comes and this is when he immediately starts just stabbing through the tp uh in a in a fury like just slicing the shit out of it and there's Tracy screaming, uh, Craig is screaming, and Tracy basically gets pulled out of the teepee and stabbed in the chest, right between her tits. Her tits are out full force, and the killer 
stabs this hunting knife right between her tits. And she's like, uh, uh, it's kind of like, brutal. I like that it's a drawn out sequence because there's a lot going on while this is happening. And it actually, it works in its favor because you've got John and Beth on the couch sensually cuddling. I'm sure she's loving it. Um, <laughs> and they're they're watching a movie and they, they're falling asleep. But they're watching a horror movie. So, of course, you know, it screams and it's drowning out the noise. You've got... The other two girls have gone off to go to bed upstairs. They hear the screams, but they're like, oh, maybe it's the movie. Or it could always be that Craig is just showing Tracy his tomahawk. Uh, you know, they they imply that they're fucking so loud she's getting railed and screaming her head off. So they take the time to acknowledge that people are hearing this or why they're not hearing it. I appreciate that because, you know, they are in the middle of, like, a neighborhood people would be hearing this and this is a very it's a long drawn out kill and it's probably the most brutal kill in the sense of he's tearing through the 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 teepee it's literally it's just coming down the fabric is getting shredded <clears throat> they're both getting stabbed they're both getting sliced and then he finally just yanks her out of the teepee and stabs her right between the tits and kills her and it, it makes for a really i think effective sequence up until he looks up at Craig and they make eye contact and you like see the the killer's face and he's he's just like the least intimidating person ever. Uh-huh. We do get to see Craig naked, but like completely naked. He he's he runs into the house completely naked. We see his butt, his little ass. Uh, he runs into the kitchen and the girl and like he's screaming. He, they they come downstairs and he's like standing naked in front of him trying to call the police, but the, all the lines are cut and they're like Craig, what happened? What happened? You're, you're, you're bleeding. And he's like, yeah, some guy just killed Tracy. And even he doesn't seem all that concerned about oh it. My God. I mean, it's, it's certainly not to the level that I would expect. If you saw your girlfriend just be stabbed, there is fear, but there's no panic. And this carries through the whole film. And this is one of my biggest issues of the finale. Cause we're getting into the finale at this point. They are scared. But they never hit that, like, boiling point panic that I wouldn't... I mean, if I had someone busting in my house, like, I would be flipping my shit. I'd be busting through windows. I'd be throwing my body off of uh, uh, off of the, the roof if I had to. I would do anything to survive. You know, I, I would go into survival mode. These actors consistently seem very low-key... And like I used the term sedated before, but it really it feels like everyone in this whole climax is on a sedative. And it takes away from what should be a very like raw panic sequence because it's a home invasion at this point. This guy is busting into this house. He cuts the phone lines. They even have a secondary phone line. He knows to cut that one too. And nobody ever hits like the point of terror that I think it you need to draw an audience in and make them feel it with you. This movie fails on that. He doesn't even have to bust in. He walks right in the front door. Like, the, the front door's unlocked. This, there is a, literally the scene of the guy just walking right in the front door. In the meantime, uh, Beth is on the couch cuddling with John asleep. She's having another dream um, where she's walking into the house. And again, this gets very confusing because she's on the couch. She's where, but then she's in a dream and she's walking to the dining room. She sees pictures of her family starts to bleed. Uh, Robert 
at the same time is inside the house. He gets the knife from the fireplace. As right as Beth wakes up from her dream, Robert like sees them on the couch and goes to stab her. And she sees him just in the right amount of time. So she rolls off the couch causing John to roll over on his stomach and the killer stabs this John guy in the back and he's dead. It's so like for this particular character to be killed that way with no, Oh my God. He doesn't even get a fighting chance. Like really, you're just going to have this guy stabbed in the back while he's asleep. And that's the end of it. He doesn't even know like you're setting him up to be a love interest. Yeah. There's a big issue here. He doesn't even know. He doesn't even know anything's happening. Well, and like, I have a big issue with this whole sequence in the sense of it seems like two very separate things going on. They're all in the same house. Like, let's, they're all in this house, and it's a big house, but if Craig runs in butt naked and he's flipping his shit, and the girls, it's enough to wake the girls up from the, the, from the bedrooms upstairs. How is it that the people in the next room over that are sleeping on the couch are not also woken? Even if the TV's going, I don't buy it. I don't. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, so that aside, I will say, I out of all of her dreams, the bleeding portrait sequence is my favorite. I think it's very creepy that, like, you see, uh, you see holes in this portrait. Each girl has stab marks in where he stabbed them in reality, and each wound starts to bleed in this portrait. And it's a really simple effect, but like the fact that it's children. And the fact that, like, the, the ones that died, they have stabs all over their torsos. And, of course, hers is on her arm. And like, if you didn't know, yeah, now you know. Beth is Laura. Um, it's, you know, it's now put right out there for you as, you know, as the viewer. I like the sequence, but, like, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't understand how... It doesn't make sense to me that the girls upstairs were able to come downstairs. These two don't hear it. And then you're absolutely right. Like, she she looks up, she sees him, she rolls off the couch, and she basically, like, sacrifices him. She throws him to the wolf. She throws the lamb to the wolf so she can survive. She does acknowledge it. She says it's, that's the reason he died. But still, it is the lamest death I've ever seen. Oh, it really is. The guy, the poor guy gets no reaction all we see is the knife going to his back it's he probably wasn't even actually there they probably just i mean obviously they used a dummy but i'm like they probably are like oh yeah you go home we're done we're just gonna stab a dummy you don't even get to react at all it's yeah it's so lackluster it's so lazy you know yeah slasher film to, to kill a character like that oh yeah like at least like have him have him like open his eyes and scream i mean like he got stabbed in the back like react and then get him have him get stabbed again or like you know make it make it brutal like this film loses so many opportunities of taking it like making something more impactful they kind of just a lot of these deaths are just kind of thrown to the wind uh and they could have been a lot more well and they're all very they're all repet it's so repetitive it's all every every character is stabbed there's no with a hunting knife there is no uh variety in in the ways that these people are killed off uh, Beth runs upstairs and gets in the room with the, the rest of the guys. So Craig is there, Tracy, Sarah. Uh, again, at this point, Beth comes running in the room telling him, oh my God, the guy's in the house. He killed John. And Craig's like, yeah, he killed Tracy too. Just like that. Again, this guy does not seem very torn up at all. 
they go to the window and they start screaming and nobody reacts. So like one of the girls takes a vase or something and throws it out the window, crashes, still nothing. Nobody's waking up. So all the, this whole neighborhood must be on vacation, I'm assuming. And uh, Linda's like, oh, where's my brain? I forgot we have a fire ladder. So she grabs this fire ladder from where? I don't even know where they go. Under the bed, maybe. And they throw it out the window. And, of course, Craig, the guy, is the first one to go down. He gets down the fire ladder and is immediately, immediately stabbed. Like, the killer just walks right. How did nobody see the killer coming? Yeah, and how did he know that the, what they were doing? So he goes right to the right up to Craig, stabs him. Nobody sees. Nobody's. Nobody, I mean, they're only two stories up, Roger. It's not like they're 50 stories in the air. If they're looking down watching Craig get to the bottom, exactly. they easily saw that. But no, because Linda's dumbass starts going right down. And, and there what is a, happens? There is at least a cool sequence here where, like, I wouldn't even, I don't want to say cool. I'm giving it too much credit. But it's, there's, it's the most suspenseful. Yeah. But that's still not yeah. saying much. Yeah, because Linda's on the ladder. And he, you know, and Craig gets stabbed and she notices it. So she starts trying to climb back up. But uh, Robert starts grabbing her by the ankle and he's trying to, um, you know, pull her down. But they finally manage to get her through the window. The two girls help her. And at least I do like that the girls all work together for this sequence. Um, They're not necessarily that capable, but like at least they're trying. So he starts coming through the window and they start like smacking his (laughs) head. hands like they're literally just pounding on his hands gently but finally fucking linda using her brain she's just grabs the window and she slams it down on his hand and he's screaming and like she's she's smashes it down and he reacts and so they go to try to get out the door uh but they've already barricaded the door with um like a dresser so they've got to move everything again and he's He's injured, but he's still hanging on, and he's still getting through the window. So the girls run back, and they take the ladder, and they just let it go. Thank God. Thank God they at least think to do something, because they've been making a lot of mistakes that did not sit well with me, and at least the sequence, like, the girls at least are somewhat capable. Yeah. Yeah, They so they do get, that. he falls to the ground, and they're like, is he dead? And they're like, oh, I don't know. We need to get out of here. So they run downstairs. They unlock the front door. And who is still alive? It just happens to be at the front door and falls. How is this guy still alive? He was stabbed Ow. through his body four times. We saw the knife blade come out of his back. And it's been, what, probably an hour or two hours? He would be dead. He would be dead. How but he's very unfortunate for this poor man. He's still the alive. <laughs> yeah, he's, and he falls inside and then fucking... Sarah, isn't that her? She's like, oh no, Andy, he's dead. They run back upstairs because they see what's his name outside because they are like, oh, he's outside. So they run back upstairs. They go upstairs. Now keep, keep this in mind, folks. They are upstairs on the second floor. We need to keep that in mind. They go back into this. They throw the, the ladder. They dispose of the ladder. Yeah. They go back upstairs and they shut themselves in a room. And once they shut themselves in the room, this killer somehow magically crashes through the second floor window. Does he have fucking wings? How did this he ha- levitates? How did this happen? <laughs> he launches his body. <laughs> the neighbors catapulted him in the window. They're like, hey, we'll help you get these bitches. They're loud. Go through. I, f- 
feel like it's one of those things where they're like, we're going to do a suspenseful, like, su- we're going to surprise okay. the audience. But, but they, then they, they didn't make... think of, like, the, He's on the, the, the plausibility floor. factor. Let him run. <laughs> they could have easily fixed that by saying, like, having the characters run to a room that was on the first floor and shut the door and lock it. So it would make a lot yeah. more sense. Yeah. And I also have to say, this point moving forward, like, okay, so they had a moment where the girls kind of, like, redeemed themselves and proved themselves, I don't know, somewhat capable Moving forward, they that's all lost and thrown to the wind. Every decision every character makes from this point forward in the movie is, like, so frustrating it makes me want to pull my hair out. There are so many chances that the girls could, like, either defend themselves or, like, I don't know, close a door, close a gate, barricade themselves somewhere. And they, like, basically just, they set themselves up to die. It is frustrating as all hell i can't even begin to express how angry i get when i watch the final 10 minutes of this movie well here we go because they run the girl he he just crashed through the second store second floor right he's in a room upstairs there's no there's only there's no other way out of the room the girls run downstairs they go out in the backyard he is in the backyard somehow now he goes from being up he's in the front he's walking up the driveway so he had to go out the front door yeah how did he they ran out the front door wait and why didn't they just run to the streets screaming i don't know but they go out the front door and he's there so i how did he get downstairs so fast when we just saw him crash through a second story window it is very confusing i don't know i'm just gonna say it anyways they instead of like they see him walking towards them and instead of like running in the opposite direction they just stand there and they're just like what do we do he's coming towards us oh my god what do we do at one point one of them says, don't freak out. And I'm like, bitch, if any time there is a time to freak out more than ever in your life, it is right now. It is fight, like react. And they're like slowly backing up and they're like, okay, just don't, don't make any sudden moves. No, like flip your shit, fight him. There is an open gate in front of them and he has distance. Like he is all the way down the fucking driveway. There is distance between them. Close the gate run lock it run it is just it is mind-boggling and like i said it's so frustrating yeah. and then he sets his sight on sarah because now he's starting to visualize all these girls besides beth or his sister because he's like calling he looks at beth now and he thinks that, or he looks at sarah and he thinks he's she's one of his sisters because she starts he starts calling her name i can't remember what name it is Janet Janet and Sarah's freaking out she's like why is he staring at me why is he oh my god he wants to kill me he wants to kill me and they're like let's run and they go to run and Sarah trips (laughs) over fucking Tracy's dead body and the killer immediately pounces on her and stabs her repeatedly in the chest and they just abandon her to die they do there's three of them there's three of these girls and I know you're women I know he's a big man but three against one grab sticks from the fucking fallen teepee. I don't know. Grab the piece of the statue of the Native American man that you for some reason have in your lawn and grab the tomahawk I'm sure he's wielding because that only makes sense because it's an offensive piece of equipment that you have procured. And defend yourselves. These girls, like, they are the worst, the worst girls in any cast of any slasher ever. Yeah, they they don't they just leave her there. 
And I felt sorry because Sarah was was probably you know she's she wasn't a bad character. Her fashion choices no. were a little, but to, for her to be brutally stabbed in the chest by because she tripped over stupid Tracy's dead body. Yeah. So Beth and Linda now run into the base, run back in the house, and they go down into the basement of all places. Why you're you're, you're going to go in the one place where there's really no way out, right? Run through the house. Run from the back door. He's in the backyard. Run through the house out the front door, and you're you're. You're free. Just yeah, You're run. Free. Just take off. But no, they run to the fucking basement and proceed to have a whisper conversation that is so loud and so long that they deserve to die. Oh, it's a, it's a the longest conversation where she's stupid. Beth is like, oh yes, as I was a child, you know, uh, this is where I ran and this is where I hid and what are we gonna do? And we're trapped and what are we gonna do? And, and then they hear police sirens and they're like, oh. They're, the police are coming and Beth's like, no, they're not. How would they know we're here? And it's just like this conversation of going back and forth, back and forth. And she's like, oh my God, I'm Beth. I'm Beth. I, I, I'm, he wants me. And then the cop, then we have to. I'm Laura. It's Laura, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I'm Laura. Then we have to cut back to the cop calling the doctor to be like, you know what? I realized that address is not the right one because he wouldn't know that she lived with her aunt. He'd go to the original house. And we're like, bitch, and you're a doctor and you couldn't figure that out. You couldn't have figured that out three hours ago. I thought you fuckers had seen Halloween. I thought you saw Halloween because you ripped off everything else. And then the, the girls are back down in the basement and all of a sudden Beth is like, oh my God, Miss Lawrence, there's a spare key down here. And there just happens to be a spare key hanging on the goddamn wall. They grab that at the same moment. They did not see or hear Robert coming down the stairs. We see a shadow coming down. They don't see it as they grab the key to go back upstairs. He attacks. I think Beth or somebody Beth, I think hits him with a shovel or something and he falls. No. Okay. No, no, no. <laughs> I don't. This gets confused. At this point in the game, Linda is the only one doing any of the legwork. Anytime it comes down to any physical labor, Beth is yet again proving her incompetence. She, for the rest of the film, is nothing but fawn-eyed and gape-mouthed and doesn't do anything. And again, there are a lot of frustrating things about this whole final sequence, but the most frustrating aspect of it, beyond everything, is anybody who steps up to help Beth or defend Beth ends up being the one who gets injured and dies. Beth, as they make themselves upstairs and Linda grabs the shovel, the killer comes at Beth and she tries, no, she tries to hit him. You are right. Beth tries to hit him but fails. He starts pursuing her, backing her into a wall and she literally just backs up slowly and Linda proceeds to pick up the shovel and starts beating him with it. You know, she's hitting him in the back and she's doing everything she can for Beth to get a second to run away and do something. And Beth is, it's almost Mm -hmm. like Beth, like, is like a harbinger of doom for these people. She's like luring them to their deaths. Yeah, she wants to, well, she just, she almost seems like she wants to die, you know. But as they knock him out in the basement, there is the cool scene where they run up the, they go up the basement stairs and like shut him in. And he starts pounding on the door and they're like, we can't hold him. Are you ready to run? And he like stabs the knife through the door. And we so see, we do get a cool shot of the knife come through the door be- right between their two, the two of their heads. Yeah. And that's when 
Linda's like, okay, we have to run. Let's go. And they run. And that's the scene you just talked about where he pursues Beth full force while Linda literally is beating him with the shovel. He even like at one point, like takes, like kicks, like knocks Linda down and is right to Beth getting ready to stab her with this awkward knife raise. And that's when uh, Linda comes and hits him in the head with the shovel, knocks him down. And then she proceeds to hit him a couple more times, which I'm like, good. Yeah. And way to actually do something, Linda. Yeah. They make a mistake of like, not really, no, not really figuring out he's dead. They just assume they go, he's dead. Like, really? Are we sure? Cause it's like, a, it's a, it's a few hits with a shovel, but like, it is not enough for me to be confident until his head is separated from his body. We've seen a lot of horror movies, Troy, like you and I put us in the situation. We will be backing up against any wall. I will be throwing chairs, vases, animals, everything in my path will be thrown at this person until I am killed. But the, she hits him upside the head. He drops. She beats him a few more times. And they, like, proclaim it. They're like, he's dead. And they start, like, slowly. Very slowly. Stumbling. Like, ever so slower, slowly inching their way to the door, like leaning on each other as they, as though they've both been horribly injured, which really like neither of them have gotten too much of a, of a beating. So it just, again, does not make sense. No. And as they're walking away, he leaps up and stabs Linda right in the back. And I was pissed. I was pissed. We've been talking, we've been talking about male, like final guys who've been done dirty or, you know, characters who have been done dirty who are males linda yes, tops my list absolutely of, of female characters who get done dirty because she gave it her all like beth did nothing beth does not deserve to survive no in my opinion no 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 linda gave her all she put it all out there she beat this massive man into submission with a shovel and only to get stabbed in the back and have like a long drawn out like death moment where like they hear the cops coming. She almost fucking made it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, she just kind of slumps over and dies, leaving Beth to be the last one fucking. Yeah, it, it's bullshit. Linda, Linda should have been the final girl by far. Yeah. Or, 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 okay. What? Not even. Okay. She didn't have to be the final girl. She should have lived. What would have killed them? How would it have changed the movie at all if Linda would have lived? You know, it certainly wouldn't have made it any worse. You know, if Linda literally dies. She dies because of Beth's of Beth incompetence. Like that and Linda, is why she dies. And Linda's the much more likable, engaging character. We, we get stuck with fucking wet blanket Beth, who after Linda dies, Robert starts crawling after Beth because he can't, he can't walk. And he's like, he pulls as he's crawling, he pulls the knife out of Linda's back and he's like stabbing at, uh, at Beth using the, the knife to like pull himself towards her. And right as he gets on top of her and is ready to stab him, she picks up the other knife and she's like, ah, you need to die. And she stabs him through the neck so that it comes out the front of his neck, which is kind of cool, but still it's fucking Beth. Yeah, like, maybe if she would have given that same level of fight 
throughout the majority of the rest of the film, this moment would have been satisfying, but instead it just seems like No, because at this moment, and... I'm... St- no, yeah, because at this moment, I'm still pissed that Linda's dead. Absolutely, absolutely. Like, Linda did not deserve to die, and Beth has shown absolutely no... Um, just determination or fight leading up to this point. So, like, I don't give a fuck if she has this final moment of, like, oh, I'm gonna stand up to the killer and win the day. Like, the rest of the characters died literally because of her being there, and she did nothing to help any of them. So go fuck yourself, Beth. You suck, and if anybody deserved to die, it was you, because you're the only one that he was looking to kill to begin with. So you just got a bunch of people killed for no reason. Yup. And the police show up, and they're like, oh, we got a live one here. And they get her. As they always do. They take her out, and then we get the final scene of her in the hospital with Mrs. uh, Or her in the hospital bed, and she wakes up, and there's a scene of Robert yanking the uh, hospital curtain open and all bloody, and she screams and wakes up, and Mrs. Lawrence is there at the end. Thank God this movie ended on yet another dream Dream. sequence because i can't imagine it ending any other way because it's literally the bulk majority of the movie is just dream sequences so why not give us one more for no reason shits and giggles um but yeah um a uh lackluster ending for an overall a lackluster film like i know this movie's got its fan base and i know it's loved and hey like i said i own it but like this movie has a, a I don't like to always go, it's got a, like, Rotten Tomatoes score. Like, fuck Rotten Tomatoes. You know, it's, it's just a bunch of a people's opinions. And, the, the, you know, critics are critics. But this movie's got, like, a 27%, and I would say that the fan base response is pretty similar. Like, this movie is held up because it's sticky and because it is, like, a time capsule of the era, but it's not held up because it's a good movie. No, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure this movie has its fans, but I would implore those people to go watch it again if you haven't seen it for a long time. I guess the only thing this film has in its favor is that it's fairly short, but this film does not compare to The Slumber Party Massacre, which is highly more entertaining. I'm even going to go out on a limb and say the sequel to this is shit but it's better than this one it's 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 more cheesy it's at least it's tongue-in-cheek this one i think was taking itself way too seriously yeah and really thinking they were doing something you know highbrow and high art with all the dream intercuts and stuff like that and instead it was just a mess and the film suffers from having the worst final girl in slasher film history uh, and that's, I mean, I would, I'll, I'd say that gladly. I mean, she, like you said, she makes some of these other bras we've talked about look like goddamn Linda Hamilton. She looks like, I mean, she makes like Rennie from Friday the 13th part eight look like fucking Sigourney Weaver and aliens. This bitch is the most emotionless. And again, I don't know if it's the actress's fault or if it's the direction. We don't know because this actress's performance is this flatlined throughout the whole film. We never get any range. Um, the other film, the other thing this film suffers from is having a very lackluster, unscary killer who looks like a fucking goofball when you do see his face. And another thing, all the kills are exactly the same. They're, they're fast. There's no creativity. It's being stabbed with a hunting knife. Yeah. I, I mean, 
I can't imagine that. That I mean, I know why this film has a fan base. You're like you said, it's nostalgia. This is one of those VHS. Uh, if you think of like 80 slasher films going to your blockbuster or your mom and pop video store, this is a VHS cover art. You're always going to remember. Oh yeah, you know, the, the scantily clad woman. You know, you see her image, her silhouette through the mini blind, and the guy standing out the window with a knife. Very iconic. It's very 80s. However, this movie. Good God, Roger. I don't think I could watch this again after watching it for this podcast a couple times. It's just, it's a chore to get through. I, I, I don't want to say there's really anything enjoyable about it because there's really not. Yeah. It's just there and it's just bland. And I'm sorry, folks, because I do know that people like this film, but it's, it's not good. It's I not would good. go out uh, and actually, I'd go out on a limb and say, that out of all the films we have reviewed thus far, this may be my least favorite. Um, because it's not like it just suffers from one or two issues. At least some of the movies we've reviewed before, like, have had, you know, their flaws, but they've been balanced out with, like, a fun factor. Or um, some great kills. Or a really cool set location like none of this really there's nothing about this film that is standout um there's some things that are okay but overall the bad greatly outweighs them to an extent that like it's it is a chore to get through the characters a few of them are like kind of likable but there's some there's a lot of movies that have way more likable characters there's movies that have significantly better deaths and it, and the biggest gripe i have is is what you stated is the uh, the final girl and the the villain when you have both a negative force and a quote-unquote positive force both of which are not doing their job are not achieving their goal what is there to watch for like what is the watchability factor there's nothing there to enjoy you know And you can you compared it earlier, or you compared the villain to Final Exam, you know, which is very similar. However, Final Exam is ions better than this movie. Oh my Final God. Exam had a very atmospheric location. Final Exam had characters that were interesting. Final Exam had varied death scenes. Final Exam had a final girl that at least put up a fucking fight. One of the best chase scenes in slasher film history. This film has none of that. And even like you mentioned, the setting, the sorority house, is very bland. Honestly, it doesn't even look like a sorority house. It looks like a fucking house they had in that they just found in the middle of a neighborhood. Which you know what? That's fine because my film Mrs. Claus takes place at a sorority house and I had to use a house at the last minute that wasn't the original house that I intended to use, which was a real sorority house, but so I actually had to use a house that was in in the middle of a neighborhood and I like through the entire filming I kept telling the cast and crew I'm like shit people are going to really rip on this film because this does not look like a sorority house at all guys I'm the first to admit that that was my biggest like worry and complaint through the entire filming of that movie is that oh my god this does not look like a sorority house this does not look like sorority we lost our fr- or, I tell you what it looks more like a sorority house than this fucking thing did yeah yeah and, and I, I think another thing that really uh is glaring to me is movies like this these smaller budget films a lot of times they can get past their flaws with creativity like at least you and i'm not just saying this because you're my friend like i listen mrs claus stirring was made for a shoestring budget 
way less than this movie had. But you know what? At least you made up for it by incorporating... You made sure you got as much Christmas-esque material you could throughout every shot of that movie. Like, you made sure to at least try to give it an environment and make it feel creative. This movie lacks creativity. That is my yeah. biggest gripe. The dream you sequences all feel lazy. The characters, for the most part, all feel lazy, especially the lead and the villain. And I think it lacks creativity because this movie is a product of of basically capitalizing on more successful products. They literally sat down and like, we gotta make another Halloween. We gotta make it kind of feel like Nightmare on Elm Street. Let's take what worked from those and put them into our own movie and not put any creativity into this film to try to find a way to make it its own thing. This movie lacks personality and it significantly lacks identity. It doesn't feel like its own thing. It just feels like a product of the times and a clone of other movies. Yeah, I, you nailed it. You nailed it right there. And I think I'm just going to leave the we're going to leave this review with it, with this one word that sums up this movie and it is bland. And that's the with, word of the day. Folks. That's the word of bland. the day. From the hair <laughs> to, to her <laughs> wardrobe to her fucking face. The female <laughs> lead is bland, the killer is bland, and the movie is bland. Yeah. So, Roger, that was Sorority House Massacre. Oh, boy. You know, there's a sequel. We may touch on the sequel in the future. Who I knows? own it. I own it, yeah. and I honestly do. I don't even remember. I know, like, the, <laughs> I know I watched it. It's way different than this one. I think it's more of a supernatural slasher than this one was, but I, I do want to check it out. We'll have to cover yeah. it sometime soon. But anyways, Roger, so what's on the, I think you have some announcements for what's on the plate, our plate for next episode. Yeah, yeah, guys. Well, I mean, like, we haven't had a guest for a hot minute, but one of the things that I think has really spiced it up and kept things exciting is randomly throwing a guest at you now and then. So um, we decided to bring somebody on who knows what the fuck they're talking about. Just like everybody we've had prior. Uh, We've had some wonderful guests, but this guy... He actually has his own horror movie podcast. Um, we're bringing on Buddy Candela from Buddy's House of Horrors. Uh, he's been running this podcast for years now, uh, and he's just a really great guy. He's a really sweet guy. Uh, he is really like a great conversationalist. I was on his podcast a couple years ago promoting a film, and we just had a really good conversation. I really enjoyed talking with him. And um, as soon as we launched this, he expressed interest in coming on. And one of the things that I thought was really appealing is, while Buddy is straight, as far as I know, I could be wrong, but as, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure the guy's straight. He has been a very outspoken ally um, and pro-queer individual uh, for as long as I've known him on social media. Um, a lot of his material that he covers is very pro-queer. He's just an all-inclusive person, and that goes a long way with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, combine that with his knowledge of horror, which is vast. I mean, he knows, he knows it. He, he knows, he's picking up what we're putting down. And I'm really excited to just sit down and pick apart a movie and discuss a film that he's passionate about. So, um, I, I let him pick his title, and he picked a film that I don't think you and I would have normally picked, but that kind of makes it more exciting for me. He picked the film adaptation of the video game franchise Silent Hill. 
the first, not the second. The second is garbage. We will never touch it. But I honestly have a very soft spot for this movie. So when he said this, um, I was kind of excited. I think it is the best video game adaptation of a horror, or I'm sorry, the best film adaptation of a horror video game franchise. Uh, significantly better than like the Resident Evils and so forth. I think it's extremely atmospheric. I think it's a beautiful film. Uh, it's from 2006, and it stars the absolutely stunning Rada Mitchell, who is in her own right a scream queen. I mean, she's got a ton of good titles behind her, including the Crazies remake. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which I love. So it's really, it's honestly just a visually sumptuous film, and I think it's going to be really fun to talk about because it is the polar opposite of the shit show that we watched today. So yeah, Buddy is going to be on our episode next week, um, and he is just when he's very educated on all things horror. So I really want to encourage our listeners to tune into this one because I think we're really just going to have a very um, vibrant conversation with this guy. He knows what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I know I've known Buddy from social media, so it'll be cool to get him on and have this conversation with him. And you're right. So that is a Silent Hill is definitely a film that I would not have picked. However, I am super excited to be able to watch it and and chat it with it, chat about it with you too. So that is definitely one to look forward to, guys. And Trey, remind me, have you seen Silent Hill? I have. Don't, I don't want to say. I have, I honestly have not seen it. I know that's going to shock a lot of people because I am such a huge horror f- person. But it just it can't uh, because I knew it was a video game based horror. It was just never really interests me, so I never made the effort to see it. However, I have heard a lot about how I would love the film, so I was going to get around to watch it at some point. Now this gives me the perfect excuse to actually do it. So. Yeah, I'm I'm stoked. I'm stoked. And I I understand. I think a lot of fans of the genre have like a disdain or a hesitancy for video game inspired horror cinema, and it completely makes sense because there is a long history of failed video game translations to film in general, not just horror, just across the board. So I I really do think this is one that while it's not perfect, it is pretty damn good, and it is. Visually, like I said, it's just a stunning film to watch. And I think it holds up, so I'm really excited for you to see it in general. I can't wait to talk about it with you. And guys, leading up to this, listen to this podcast, but also go listen to some of Buddy's podcasts. Buddy's House of Horrors, he covers so many topics from really unique viewpoints. Uh, He gets a lot of really cool guests. Like I said, super, super pro-queer, so we appreciate that. And we can't wait to have him on our show. Yeah, absolutely. So that'll be the next episode, guys. So... While you're waiting for that, dig back into some of our older episodes if you haven't. Listen to the final exam episode and give us some love on, um, you know, social media. Get, you know, follow us, subscribe, review us on your favorite podcast app. Give us a rating, and we really appreciate it. So until next, we're going to start. We're going to start calling out individuals <laughs> who we know listen to this podcast and shaming you. Uh, each episode, we're going to pick a different <laughs> listener and we're going to shame you for not yeah. having fucking. Instead of us. calling our, our <laughs> instead of calling out a fan every week, we're going to shame you. Hey, George, we know you're fucking listening. Where's our review on Apple Podcasts, George? And then, the next day, it's a one star. Like, oh. <laughs> no, we're, we would never do that. But it'd be nice oh. if you guys. Would, would give us some love but guys yes. it's two hours i cannot believe it's two hours of talking about fucking sorority house massacre i'm over it i'm ready Jesus to go Christ. i need a drink oh roger God. so oh until next week guys 
I'm going to go sedate myself. <laughs> yes. We will be back with Silent Hill. Silent Hill and Buddy Candela. Woohoo. Bye, guys. Bye.